You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast. Alyssa Cohen grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada. She graduated from the prestigious Las Vegas Academy for Performing Arts before attending the University of North Carolina's School of the Arts, where she received her BFA in theater design and production sound design. She quickly put her degree to use by going to work for the Muni in St. Louis, starting as an intern in 2013 and returning as the assistant sound designer in 2015. When the season ended, she collaborated as a sound mixing engineer with several organizations, including the Alliance Theater, Merry-Go-Round Playhouse, now The Rev, and Ogonquit Playhouse. In late December of 2016, Alyssa began her touring career, joining Motown the Musical Second National Tour as assistant audio. Shortly thereafter, she jumped on board with the School of Rock First National Tour. In 2017-2018, she was fortunate to tour both nationally and internationally with the Rent 20th Anniversary Tour, traveling to China and Japan. In summer of 2019, she was chosen to be the assistant audio for Frozen, the Broadway musical First National Tour. The pandemic caused Frozen to be shut down in March of 2020 in Portland, Oregon, and Alyssa found herself back in Las Vegas. After 15 months of inactivity behind a soundboard, she got the chance to mix shows again as she went to work for the Glimmerglass Festival in June of 2021. As of August 2021, Alyssa is back to work on Frozen, the Broadway musical. Welcome, Alyssa. Hello. So I got to tell you, Alyssa is a good friend of mine, and um, I'm so happy to have her here on the Sound Girls podcast today. How are you? I'm good. It's been, oh my gosh, we've probably known each other close, coming close to 10 years. I've been out of school six or seven I think that's wild. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, we met at Disney and uh, at the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Oh, that was so fun. So, so fun. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you start at Disney? Because you were an intern. Uh, you know, tell everyone a little bit about your story of how you got there. Yeah. I mean, I was in a four-year fine arts program and basically I had gotten to the point where I just wanted some experience out in the real professional world. Um, The education environment is fantastic for going through the process and getting, you know, a lot of just basic knowledge, but uh, it's, it's not the same. It can't be the same as professional work. Um, so I had I had looked into getting an internship and and the internship was really fascinating in the sense that uh, it takes you from all of the different parks at Disney World and different stages and kind of exposes you to different environments. Um, we we take for granted how much is it's possible to learn through observation, um, and so that's really a lot of what I did um, at Disney there. And that was my first uh, the first time I worked at Disney. Yeah, I worked for the company, the big the big umbrella Disney. And crazy how things uh, just worked out. I'm I'm back working for for Disney again. I know. And fun fact, so I think your job is so cool. And I I guess that's a weird lead in uh, to what we are both doing right now, because you are doing a two for Frozen, uh, the Broadway national tour. And uh, I am audio lead with uh, the Frozen sing along at the Hollywood studio. So we're both uh, doing some Frozen work together. 
Yes, magic, making magic for everyone. Yep, exactly. Some frozen magic. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So when you started at Disney, now you're an audio you're doing Broadway tours, you're mixing front of house. I had the opportunity to shadow you and sit with you for rent, which was really cool. So you're you're an A2, you're an A1. Now with Disney, did you actually get to do audio when you were first there? Because my guess is probably not. Tell me a little bit more about that. No, I, I don't recall other than... Um a little bit of shadowing at Lion King. There wasn't a lot of uh, specifically dedicated audio work. Um, and I think I think that's both unique. There's something to mention there about both me and about the program. And, and that is that the program is very broad and it shows you a bunch of different technical elements and tracks and aspects and all of those things. Um, and that's really beautiful for somebody who doesn't have a specific specialty and skill set in mind that interests them. Um, that's what's unique about the program. And what's unique about me is that I had already known and at that point was studying more in depth um, and specifically in the realm of sound. And that's because I, ju- I just was so curious about how, how it all worked. And um, so I, I had already kind of narrowed my focus down. And so, um, so though I didn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I, I, it was a waste of time, because it's really fascinating. Um, every different professional environment is run differently, um, whether it's hierarchy or who's responsible specifically for what. So no, I didn't do a lot of audio, but uh, that's okay. You know, I think I think the best stagehands uh, are well-rounded and have a, a good understanding of all of the elements that are happening during a live project because anything can happen. It's live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I was so surprised because with the program, like you said, they focus on giving you opportunities to bounce around and see different shows, different operations to help make you more well-rounded, totally. especially before you know, say you transition into a full-time role there and you can focus more on your discipline. But what I think is so interesting about the program, especially with you, I was so surprised because with the stage that we met at, that we were working at, at Indiana Jones, uh, we have a playback system there that not many people know and how the program, and we just casually talked. It's like, oh, you know this program, you know, you know, Dimitri. And like, I wouldn't have known that just based on how you were scheduled and like, or, you know, just, you know, working together day to day, it was just taking that extra effort to get to know you a little bit more and learning more about, you know, what you can bring to the table based on your skill set. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that's what's uh, like a, such a great thing for young people trying to get into the industry have to remember is that, just through basic conversation, you you spark interest in commonalities or what it is you have or haven't seen before. Um, you know, at that point, I was still in college, so I was really lucky to have uh, learned and known just about Dimitri in general. And that's not something that everyone gets exposed to. But uh, all those small details are so important in starting to create those relationships that end up bringing you throughout the rest of, of mm-hmm. your career. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have never imagined like we would be, you know, honestly sitting here talking about your amazing accomplishments just from that day, just knowing where we were in that day. Yeah. And that's, that is just pure coincidence. Um, and I was lucky enough. I drove a tractor on that show. Like, I forgot that. Yeah. I, that crew was so kind and so welcoming to me. Uh, it was one of my favorite places to be. So, so getting to 
be out at the console too and see how it all ran and and the intricacies of the programming to make a show like that work. Um, you know, Disney Disney or, or theme parks in general are very different than live musical theater. You know, you are trying to uh, create the same experience for different people multiple times a day and you still have variables that you have to work around. And so the programming of it is just so fascinating to me because there are, as similar as every show is, there's no two shows that are exactly the same. You have to be ready for that. You know, I think I just think it's so fascinating. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's such a structure to uh, what we call the daily operations shows that you come mm-hmm. to see at the parks, but still there's that live aspect of anything can happen and there's contingencies in place so that the crew can adapt. And yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to pick your brain too, you know, as we continue the conversation and get to know now what your live theater sure. experience is like in comparison to that. But before we delve into that, um, let's go back. Uh, let's travel back in time and tell me um, about young Alyssa. How did young Alyssa get interested into audio? Sure. Um, I mean, it's very simple. Uh, I the buttons, the buttons. <laughs> yeah, they were. I just. It's. I. I am a tactile learner, um, and always my hands always have to be busy. I'm playing with a pen right now. So I think there was just something about, uh, you know, I I got into theater very late in middle school, um, more predominantly high school. Um, and that's because I wanted to go to the performing arts school, which was both advanced uh, academically and performing arts. And I just, I, I, there was none of my family's involved. You know, I'm not, I don't come from a family with uh, parents that are in the industry. No one else in my family is in the industry, but it just, it just looks, honestly, it looks so cool. The cool factor was very high. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was interested in getting uh, to be a part of that. Um, so I, yeah, so I went to performing arts high school and I kind of dabbled in a lot of things. My mom is very crafty. So I started where I was comfortable with, um, with costumes and props and that kind of hands-on prep work. Um, and then moved into some stage management stuff just because paperwork was, fun and easy and uh, very organized. I have a very literal brain. And so I, I went through some of that. But um, but the sound console just kept calling to me. I just, I just wanted to push the buttons. I wanted to get it. And mm-hmm. I think um, I'm also one of those people who prefer to take the more challenging road. Um, at that point, I thought that uh, stage management and paperwork and management just not that it's easy, but I had some innate skills that um, I feel like it just wasn't a, as big of a challenge. And so I continued to um, kind of to take as many roles as I could in the sound department with with all the shows that we were doing. Uh, I thrive on high adrenaline uh, moments, which is exactly what happens when you're mixing a show. You get it right or you don't and you move on and you just have to continue to be present. That's my favorite. Yeah. Thing. It's, it's, I mean, it's terrifying. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not easy or, or even comforting all the time, but the reward is high. I think. Yeah. You're held to such a high standard. Like, you know, I, I don't want to say that you expect perfection from yourself because you know, perfection is not attainable. We know that it's not, but that's all we ask of ourselves. Yeah. Like I, for me, I expect that I'm like, I'm going to give you the same show every single time, you know, my absolute Mm -hmm. best. And like, you know, I hear people say, oh, well, you know, we all mess up this cue. I'm like, no, we don't. 
No. <laughs> if you do, then you're not learning from your mistakes. That's a really good point. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had a, an experience on a tour where I was very unhappy. Um, and that, you know, that just goes to say that not all projects uh, are are meant to work out based on the people that you're working with or the, the situation or the environment. And that's, that's not, that has nothing to do with failure. I just think it's self-awareness. Um, and in this situation, I was really unhappy and it got to the point where I was mixing a show and I pulled the wrong fader for something and kind of shrugged my shoulders at it. And that was complete opposite about how I generally would react, which is where I would beat myself up and be like, don't forget this moment. You never want to do this again. You know? And at that point I was like, okay, it's time to move on. Let's find a different project because clearly I am not in, you know, the right health space to, or like mental health place in order to do my job at its fullest at the point where I want to be, you know, hold myself to my own standards. That was a lesson. I was like, okay, if I, if I no longer care, then and this is, it's time to transition, you know. You know, and now with the pandemic, you know, I feel like there's such a greater focus on mental health. So important. Yeah. And it's like, especially in the entertainment world, I feel like we we either push ourselves uh, to go to the extreme, like we always have to, like you said, you know, we're always either striving for perfection or, you know, we have a project that's going on and, you know, we have to see it to completion no matter what the cost is. Um, or you're working six, seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row or, you know, you name it, I don't know, months on the road. I mean, you have that traveling experience. But at the same time, it's like, okay, no, you need to check in with yourself. I mean, would you say? I, I know, yeah. And I, I think the thing is, is that that is a that is a personal responsibility we all need to put on ourselves. I think the industry issue there is that uh, we are so hard on each other for for moving away from projects that on paper seem perfect. No project is perfect ever. There's always something, and that's just a fact of life. It has nothing to even do with our industry. Um, but we're so hard on each other for making those decisions, and I think instead we really need to support each other for saying, you know, you have recognized it's not good for you, so move on. I think on the road we find that all the time that people just are mean or miserable, and that's because they're putting up with uh, a sleep pattern that just simply doesn't agree with them. You know, that doesn't mean you're you're failing or you can't do your job or, you know, all of those things. It just means that this is not the right environment or circumstance for you to be your best. And I think we need to support that a lot more. Hopefully the pandemic can help create that habit. I don't know. So how do you, um, how are you finding your balance now that you're back out on the road? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> I would not say that I have found my balance. Um, I, it's really hard. I have a lot of new goals um, in order to work towards that balance. Um, but I think also we have to be nice to ourselves. You know, I was just, we just did a two and a half week tech process and I was working from eight in the morning to at least 11 at night, uh, you know, multiple days in a row. Um, and when that's your schedule, you don't really have time for balance because you I, personally, I prioritize sleep. I know that I need eight hours of sleep to really function. Um, and my sleep hygiene is very important to me. But I think that that's also part of it is learning that that was my priority. Um, and once I got past those, uh, those two and a half weeks of just of just being so, so full of, of time where I had to be in the theater. Um, now I start looking at how to make that balance. And I think part of that is, um, 
being mindful, which is such a silly word. I never used to use it like two years ago, but it's so true. You know, it's, I need eight hours of sleep. Um, I like to be outside when the sun is out because when we are in the theater, we don't get any sunlight and it definitely uh, fills me up a little bit more than, than just pure darkness. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's it's figuring out priorities and life on the road. I, I don't have a secret and I wouldn't say I'm even successful at that balance. But I think that um, coming back from COVID, my awareness is much different um, in order to be able to work towards that. So how did the pandemic treat you? I mean, we've, you know, we messaged each other a few times during that period and I know it wasn't easy, but tell me about your transition from what it was like when you got the notice of Frozen was closing to, okay, what do I do with my life now and to where you are today and how that's affected you? I mean, I think we all, we all took it pretty hard in the sense that, um, had the information been handed to us of, you know, what the reality was, like, you're going to have no less than a year uh, to figure out your life, uh, because what you've worked your hardest at and and the career advancements that you've been benchmarks that you've hit are no longer going to matter. Like, had that been handed, I think I would have handled it differently. Um, maybe, I don't know. But um, it was really hard. I mean, I think, uh there's such a beautiful community in theater and entertainment. Um, and suddenly that was gone. And so that was probably the first hurdle that I had to, had to overcome um, was the sense of, of loneliness because all of the people that I knew that were experiencing a similar thing were far away. You know, we all, we all went home or went somewhere. So I, I didn't have a home. I went to my parents' house and think, you know, so, so grateful that they are, that they are there for me. So yeah, I mean, it was hard. I think also it helped me to recognize how much I absolutely love musical theater. Um, as as a you know, I'm fortunate to do it as a job, but like I'm I am a fan. I love musical theater, um, and I think it definitely helped me lean into that. You know, storytelling and shared experience is. I it just I think it's so important in our culture and missing that was very, very hard. Um, but I finally got to the point where I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't wasting the time that was given to me. I mean, I think in retrospect, it's a gift that, that our industry got in the sense that we all put so much of our time into our job and not enough time, uh, into our personal life or our family life or our life outside of, uh, the business in order to even know, what the other part of that balance looks like. So I think I I tried, I tried, but it was also, I was very foggy and like my brain, you know, would just was empty because I was in, I think I was in a a state of shock for a while um, and grief for a while. It's, there's no shame in any of it. It's what happened. And um, it makes me appreciate what I've got now even more. But I think I tried, I tried to figure out those things that would help me with balance. I learned I really like going on long walks and not thinking about anything but walking. And, and, you know, I thought I didn't like the sun, but I like the sun except for when it's 120 degrees in Las Vegas. I hate it, (laughs) you know? Um, yeah. And I just kept pushing forward. Like I, I got a job at a flower shop, um, because I was looking for something with an artistic outlet, um, because that was what I was missing more than anything, I think. Um, and that was helpful getting me out of bed, giving me a routine. Um, and from that, I think I learned a lot about myself. I think people in our industry are really resilient and what a lot of, uh, people not in the industry don't realize is our skills are super transferable. So I was able to, to use what I, 
you know, the skills that I have and work with that um, until I got to the point where I just didn't want to anymore. <laughs> you know, I was ready to go back. Um, and so I was hopeful and I looked for a project for the summer um, and my resume was pulled and I ended up going to um, what's generally an opera festival. Opera does not really use audio. Um, but given the circumstances, they were building an outdoor stage and venue with a full PA, a very musical theater style. Um, and they had to mic everyone because they were outside. And uh, so I was fortunate enough to go to get on that project and kind of ease my way back into things. Um, I say ease my way, but it was very hard. <laughs> um, it was hard getting back into it. It was hard wrapping. Just, just you know, we, uh, I think the reason some of us, like we get so good at our job is because we uh, have so much experience to pull off of in order to make quick decisions or uh, troubleshoot or plans or this or that. And with that large gap of time, it my brain was not working as fast as it had been prior to the pandemic. You're not the only one. It's Yeah. I mean, it's just some silly mistakes. I looked at my designer, he looked at me and I went, I I have no excuse, <laughs> you know, like just some silly, silly stuff. Um, but yeah, I just knew that that's where my heart, my heart lays. I, I again, shared experience and storytelling uh, are just, they bring me so much joy. And so I, I tried to figure out a way to get back into it, even knowing that um, was a risk not knowing if things would pan out and going to a different state and traveling and all these things and, and having to wrap up all the things that I had accumulated the, you know, over the past year plus very stressful. But I think, um, I don't know, being on the road has taught me that really anything is possible. You can do anything. If you know how long it's going to last, you can, uh, pack up and you can move and you can try something new. Um, and it's, it's going to be okay and it'll be fine and you'll learn something from it. And if you like it, that's great. And if you don't, you'll do it again and you'll find something else, you know, that's a great way of looking at it. It's just, it's a period of time and you can try it out and just see if it's a good fit for you. And go yeah. And if not, not, it's fine, but you tried. So what drew you to want to be on tour? Cause I know that's not for everyone, but you have been touring for quite a long time. Yeah, I um I started in 2000 December 2016. Um it would have been longer had I not had a year off, but um it's you're right, it's not for everyone and even for myself I like to say it's for now and it's not forever um because I certainly like the idea of going back to the same uh home where everything has a home. <laughs> I think the school that I went to put a lot of weight on um on tour in the sense that, you know, you, if you can hack it on the road, you can do anything. Um, and I think <laughs> I have the kind of personality where I am like, well, I can do it. I'll prove myself, you know? Um, and I, I think too, I, so I started out at a regional theater out of school and, um, and I was very bored. I just, and the only other thing I knew to do or to try to do was tour. And that's really where I went. And I think I'm, I'm at a similar place in my career now, too, where I am doing tour and I don't really know what comes next. Um, so I'm not taking a jump. But at that point, I was like, OK, well, let's, you know, let's go try this. Um, I, I love I mean, I love traveling. I love exploring new places and doing it on someone else's dime is much better. <laughs> but um, I it's hard. There, there is a balance of the work that you have to do. So I've also, I did, uh, my first tour was one week sit. So we traveled every Monday. Um, and then 
I've also done extended sits and I also did a bus and truck. Um, and that was, we did one nighters, we did uh, split weeks where that's at least two venues in a week. And so you have sometimes one night at a hotel, but so I've done a variety of things and I think each one offers, offers something different. You know, if I'm sitting in a place for a week, often I'll have one or two chunks of time where I can go explore locally. Um, and that's kind of what, what kind of, uh, makes it more interesting for me. Whereas if you're doing one-nighters or split weeks and you're just constantly moving, um, you know, the, the local uh, community and individuals that you run into and those challenges, the venue specifications, those challenges are what makes it interesting because you're just, you're going through the same process, but the same way we were talking about for your, for Indiana Jones, like it's not the same. The details are the same and the, and the big goal is the same, but um, it's not, it's never the same. Um, and those are the things that interest me that keep me not bored on the road. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, so when I went to China and Japan, I have ne- I've never experienced so much, uh, I've, I just learned so much about humanity and about culture and, um, and, and because of that, and, you know, in reflection about myself, and I think that that is what life is about. And so being able to take the things that I, I like the most, you know, the musical theater and the audio and then traveling, it's just a perfect marriage, really. <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. I've been to China. That's the only place I've been outside of the U.S. Yeah, it's such a different culture. And like, I was lucky to have a friend there who spoke Chinese, but I don't know how you got around. We had, so we did have translators with us, which was super helpful, but um, the difference too, and this is, you know, would be for all touring is that I was working. I was not a tourist though. I was a tourist uh, at times. Um, my reason for being there was different and my interactions with the locals was very different. I did not anticipate China to be my first uh, international working experience I learned a lot, but I, I, by the time we were done, I mean, it's Eastern and Western culture is very different. Just bottom line. Um, it was time to come home. We were all very ready to come home. Okay. So I, uh, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a multitude of stories behind, behind that. Um, so tell me about, um, one of your more challenging experiences when you were in China, what stands out? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be rude because it's, it's not about that. The cultures are very different. Um, I generally, uh, for example, touring through the U S uh, communication is not an issue. Um, obviously in other countries that are not primarily English speaking, it's hard. And so I had a lot of anxiety on a regular basis about what I was going to eat during the day. Um, if people were going to serve me because I was white and American, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it is the, it was the type of experience that even people in our country experience. Um, but as a white female, not something I, I had, you know, I'm accustomed to here in America. Um, and those were experiences that I was, that I was dealing with, you know, um, taxi drivers that would come up to us and stop and then drive away because they didn't want to drive Americans, um, you know, or somebody charging us four or six times as much. Uh, that as they would charge a, a local just because we don't know. And, uh, you know, so it's hard. So there's a lot of anxiety um, like that. Uh, a funny story for more work related um, is 
they they don't have front of house positions there where a console goes. Really? Yeah. Um, and uh, the way the system was built is I had a double wide rack that I would put my console on top of. Um, and so there were 15, if not more people at a time that would have to lift the, you know, my rack and all my gear and everything up the stairs in the center of the house. Um, and then we would have to build something to put it on. And then we would have to bring the, you know, I mean, it just, to, to us, it's comical because, uh, because what we do here as far as touring is there's consistency in that, right? Like they know we have to get cable from the front of house position to the backstage position and they know how to do that. And when you walk into a venue, you hand them the cable and they already know how things are going to happen. Um, but internationally, it's you're starting at zero, um, depending on where you're going, of course. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I have videos of, of my uh, my female translator screaming oh, no. <laughs> um, at this group of people lifting the case, telling them to be careful, because, of course, they have no concept of, of uh, you know, even what's inside or how much it's worth. And then having no position. I have I have a picture of myself standing on a milk carton over two sets of seats over the handrail of seats in order to be able to just get at console level because we had to build it over the seats. I mean, just, it's just, yeah, things you wouldn't think about, things you wouldn't even think would be a challenge were challenges. (laughs) So, Wow. (laughs) And then you're mixing a show for, let's say, three hours every single night, leaning over. Oh, Oh, yeah. Physically, it's a lot. Yeah. But I think too, like, that's why it's so important to, um, to have a good team. Uh, my assistant on that show was fantastic, both, both with audio and taking care of her job, but also she was so supportive of me and my needs, knowing the other things that I was dealing with. Um, and we, I said to her, you not happy, me not happy, me not happy, you not happy, you know? So we, <laughs> we have to work together, um, especially on the road when we are each other's comfort zone to make sure we have the things that we need. So. Wow. So now you're on the road with Frozen. So Okay, how did you get from your performing arts school to, okay, then you're at Disney, you're doing the internship to your first Broadway tour? Like, what's, how, how was that step taken? How, how did that all evolve? Some of the important things there are um, throughout college, whenever there was a touring production nearby, um, I would do my best to see it. And Anytime I would get there, I would poke at the front of house engineer. You know, you look, you've got to look up their name in the, in the program. So you can try to talk to them by name. Um, you generally have two options, right? It's either the head audio or their assistant. Is it a male or a female? You can narrow it down. Um, and I just would say hello. And I just, you know, I, so at that point I would, um, things are different now, but, uh, I had toured a bunch of the backstage rigs, um, and, you know, seen what it looks like when a show is loaded in, um, and all of that interested me. And there was a part of it. So the part of that kind of became somewhat familiar. Um, so my first tour, uh, I got, um, so I like to say that people can help you get jobs, but you are the only person that can keep a job. Um, so I happened to send my resume into Worklight Productions, and it got flagged because of the school that I went to. Basically, someone's, the person who pulled it was also an alumni and said, all right, let me go see, you know, and talk to people and said, what do we think of this person? Do we have anything good to say, bad to say, whatever? Um, and so my resume got handed up. And that's how I got my first tour. So that is... 
circumstance and I would say luck maybe, I don't know. Um, but that was my introduction to the sound team, the designers that have done Frozen. So that kind of helped me there. Um, but then from that tour, I uh, got a phone call from somebody or a message from somebody that um, I had shadowed. And basically he was staffing a tour and he was staffing a first national tour. And he wanted to know, did I like tour? What did I, you know, what were my interests in uh, being an A1 or an A2 or the things I wanted to learn? You know, we basically had a conversation about it and that's how I got my second tour. Um, I just had shadowed him twice. I'd never worked with him. Um, but I think that goes a long way to say just that um, we want to work with people that we like. Um, and so the, the social interactions that we had had in the past uh, made a big enough impression for him to be interested in hiring me. Um, you know, I don't know, did he talk to other references? I have no idea what kind of research he did as far as my professional side um, and, and my capabilities. But at that point, um, he, you know, he said, all right, let's go. I, I'm going to I'm going to hire you. You're going to go on another tour. Um, and that's how that one came to be. Um, and then when I was done with my second one, I just, <laughs> it just worked out at the day I decided I was going to put my notice in. I got a phone call from the production manager who hired me on my first tour. Um, and he, at that point had like knew my skills and my capability and asked me to take over a different show, a show that needed, um, some extra work and some saving <laughs> in a way, um, and knew that I could do it. And he offered me you know, also to go international, which for me, like, there was no comparing that I was ready to go. So yeah, you know, it's funny, because I think uh, when you're younger, and you're trying to break in, and, and uh, this is so exciting, and you want to be uh, professional, and you want to have success, you ask everyone, you know, what, how did you get there? What'd you do? And it's uh, every single person will answer the same thing. And it's always right place, right time. And that's true. <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah, I happened to decide I was going to put my notice in on that same day. I got a phone call from somebody who hired me for my next job, you know? Uh, yeah, everything just, and that's the thing is, you know, I'm not a huge fan of social media. Um, I, it feels very toxic to me. However, it is a fantastic networking tool. So let's get to Frozen, shall we? Okay, so this is your first few weeks uh, remounting, opening the show. You're back on Broadway, per se. And so tell me what the experience was like coming back after the pandemic. This is your family now being reunited, doing what you love again. Tell, yeah, tell us all about that. Uh so the day that I got there, so we all had to have um, COVID tests and be cleared to work. So we have regular testing um, in order to say that we're still healthy, but we had to have a cleared for work test that made it so we could even walk in the building. Um, so I, I got there that I got there um, later in the week. So we also have an advanced uh, team, which we have two mirror image packages of certain things um, like motors and some cable um, and parts of the scenery. So basically, while we are still completing shows in one venue, a different team can go ahead of us the week prior and start loading in. Um, and that's just because the show is massive and uh, time consuming. And in order to not be dark for an extended amount of time, it's called advance. So two sets of motors, the points are there, we get there, we can hook it in and fly it out per se. Theoretically. Theoretically. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so as the assistant, and, and we don't have a full advance for audio, um, I got here later in the week. So I got here basically, and I was like, I'm going to the rehearsal room. I'm going 
to the rehearsal room right now. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting or it's very important uh, to note as an A2, your interactions with the cast and with the orchestra and with the company as a whole is very unique. Even in comparison to the A1, the A1 doesn't necessarily interact with the cast the same way uh, until much later on. And even then, there's still um, a proscenium in the way, <laughs> for lack of better terms. You know, they are their focus is different. Whereas when we're building a show, the A2 is um, very integral in, in the relationship between the actors and knowing when they're feeling vocally strong or not, uh, or when they're sick or when there's something else that's going on in their life that makes it so that their voices are sounding different because they've been crying or they're worried, you know, different things like that. So it's very different. Um, yeah. So coming back, I was very excited to see people, um, just because like you said, community and warmth, um, it was great. Uh, we were, for about a week loading in while the cast was in rehearsal in a different space. Um, and it was weird. <laughs> it felt very just, just separate and, and empty. The theater felt really empty. Um, and then we teched and we teched for about a week and we went through the whole show. We had some stuff that were, that had changed because at this point, three other international projects of uh, productions of Frozen have gone up. Yeah. So of course there were things, we were the original project, the original touring production, um, so first there was the pre-Broadway, which is Denver, and then from Denver it went to Broadway, and then from Broadway uh, we did this tour. Um, and at that point they already knew four or five other international versions of the show that they had stamped as the first U.S. national tour. That's the one they were going to take. Um, just the set design is slightly different because we don't um, we never use a trap stuff under the stage like they do on Broadway because we're moving. So we were the like original stamp of the upcoming international productions. Um, but as we shut down and as the p- pandemic happened and as other countries started putting their shows up, uh, they learned some different things. And so we had to now integrate those <laughs> back into our relearning of the show. So yeah, I mean, we got through tech and it was slow and is painful because all but three of our actors came back and we all it, it was it was a, a process like we never experienced in the sense that um, when you go through teching a show the first time, you are literally learning something new every minute um, about the show, about the way people move, just so much. Um, and that's not how it was for us this time. We all kind of knew. We knew. We, we just wanted to run it. We wanted to run it in time. We wanted to get back into it. Um, so it was kind of a hard process. It's, we were a little bored <laughs> for a little bit. Um, you know, we were just like ready. Everyone was so excited, so ready to go. And then we had an invited dress and that was, I, I mean, there are no words to express. So we, we all were given tickets for friends or family. And then we also invited local frontline workers. So we had about 1500 people in the audience, um, for our first audience. And it was, I mean, it was bone chilling. It was beautiful. The energy backstage was I, I mean, it's so hard to ex- it's so hard to explain because you have people who are crying and emotional, and you have people who are so uncomfortable with the situation they don't know what to do or think, and so they get really rigid. Um, and you have other people who are trying so hard not to be present because they have a job to do. You know, so there were so many so many different feelings and emotions and energy backstage, and and generally, I find the energy is very very level headed, and we're all in the same uh, you know, the same place we're here to, we're going to put on a show. Our first show was, it was beautiful and terrifying and weird. And, uh, I think something that I will never experience again, because it's such a, it was such a unique situation. 
So now you're back. You're doing shows. Um, for those who haven't uh, experienced a Broadway show backstage and the audio responsibilities, what is a normal day like for you as A2 on Frozen? Yeah. So when we're designing show tracks, um, we we as in the touring people um, very particularly make it so that the A2 show track is bare. Um, and that's because anything that can happen during the show, I will need to drop whatever I'm doing, um, and go take care of it. So generally a, a general day, you know, power up, we'll test through absolutely everything, the mics, every line in the orchestra, every output on stage, every output in the house, you know, we'll check through everything. We'll check through paging, we'll check through program, we'll check, check through the voice of gods. I mean, it's just top of day, it, <laughs> especially this past week, we've learned so much that technology sometimes just stops working and you can't explain it. It just stops. Um, you know, so it's important for us to check everything. And then generally, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a sit and wait. Some days are really uneventful, which you learn to be grateful for. Most importantly, I'm checking for consistency of microphone positions on actors. Um, you know, when you are throwing faders at the console, you want to be able to roughly hit a mark and have it be between two and three dB of exactly what you want to be hearing. So I'm constantly watching on that. Uh, Frozen has, the tour has three mic tats. Uh, so prepping those and making sure the guys have those on and the mics are in the right position because they get thrown into quick change baskets all the time and, you know, making sure those stay intact. But then the other thing I think a lot of people don't realize we deal with is all of the cameras and the communication systems necessary for the show to run safely. So we have wired comm and wireless comm. And then we have, like I said, cameras all over the different shots on the stage in order for the stage manager to see what's happening. Um, we have a bunch of automation and things that move. And uh, safety is is number one. We're just putting out fires. You know, someone's headset breaks and so they can't talk on comm. Or, you know, someone fell on stage and they happen to, like, fall on their mic and maybe it got pulled out. I mean, who, there's just, there's no telling. Um <laughs> So what advice do you have for the up and coming generation of technicians, engineers who are wanting to do what you do? I mean, I'll go right back to uh, talk to people, ask questions. Um, I think, especially as a female, um, something I've been reflecting on recently, don't be afraid to be yourself. I think when I first started touring, uh, I tried to be more like, guys guy you know with the the language that we use backstage and like being cool whatever just be yourself it doesn't matter um learn or understand that again there's not always one way um and sometimes compromise is the best way and also be okay to say i don't know what that means what like what is that what are you talking about i learn better most of the time through someone explaining something to me than reading a textbook or reading an article depending on what it is. Um, ask questions. There's no harm in that. I think um, the worst thing you could do is think you have nothing left to learn. Yeah. And be yourself. We, we want to work with people we like. So be yourself, be authentic and sleep, <laughs> sleep when you can get that sleep, man. Be mindful about sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Don't do it. And I think the other thing too, is don't do anything that makes you feel unsafe. Just don't do it. Don't worry about the repercussions if you don't feel un if you if you feel unsafe if it doesn't feel right don't do it because it's not worth the risk. I don't think enough people say that. So yeah, I think you're I mean the first person that I've talked to that has actually said that. 
So if any of our listeners want to follow you, what are your social media handles? How do we find you? I'm on Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, I'm E.B. Cohen, E-B-K-O-H-E-N. And then on Facebook, uh, just Elissa Cohen, my full name. And that's it. I'm happy to provide an email address if someone messages me and you want to have a more in-depth conversation. Uh, I love talking about sound. So it's um, I'm pretty down. I'm okay with it. That's awesome. Alyssa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's It's been so much fun. Uh, just getting, yeah, getting to connect with you again. It's, it's, it's been a real, uh, real fun time. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. The first annual Sound Girls virtual conference is coming up December 4th and 5th. Two days of sessions in post-production, live sound, recording arts, film and TV sound, broadcast, and more. Plenty of networking and mentoring opportunities. For more information on the Soundgirls virtual conference, check out the events tab at soundgirls.org. And if you need financial assistance to attend the event, please let us know by emailing soundgirls at soundgirls.org. Grab your tickets today. See you there.